We are in uh, the book of Revelation, and um, we are looking specifically at the seven churches of Revelation. And sometimes we may wonder, I mean, some of us want to um, maybe say, uh, you know, Pastor Randall, we'd like to do the whole book, you know. And, uh, but my focus here is for a reason. It's because we are the church today. And Jesus, I believe, gave not only these words to the church of the first century, but he's given it to us um, today as well. And sometimes we as the church seek to follow Jesus. We know that he is the way and the truth and the life, and we want to walk on that path. Um, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But if we were honest, as individuals and as the church corporate, the body, sometimes we lose track of the path. It reminded me of a, of a time when um, our men, we have men's retreat California too, but no guns. But we did have fishing poles. We'd go fly fishing up in the Sierras, and the place that we went to was right by Sonora Pass. Uh, Sonora Pass, when you drive on the road, when it crests from California and then down into Nevada, you're over 9,500 feet. And it's a 26% grade going down the backside. So you better hope your brakes work. And one day during our camping trip, we thought we would go up to the pass and then climb the mountain that you see on the picture. It's well over 10,000 feet in elevation. And if you know the phrase, sucking air, that's where you do it, right there. Well, on the day that we went there, it was much like you see it on the screen in that there were patches of snow, and you're going across this uh, side of the mountain that's covered with uh, granite scree, little pieces of granite that have broken off the side of the mountain. And you're at a pretty good uh, angle, and you're walking, and I'm following the guys in front of me, and all of a sudden, we're, as we're walking this narrow path that you can barely see, there is a patch of snow maybe 50 yards across. And there is no trail. And you hope that you can um, make it across this snow and find the trail on the other side. And what we did is we um, kind of drew straws to see who would go first. And they would gingerly go out there, and then we would follow in their footsteps. And once you got about halfway across the snowfield, you could see the trail on the other side. It came back into view. And we would get back on the trail, and we'd hike um, another bit, and we'd come to another patch of snow. And we'd do the same thing over and over again. We'd lose sight of the trail, but we would um, keep our, you know, 
eyes looking downward and then upward and hope to see the trail on the other side. And eventually we made it all the way to the top. We turned back around to come back down the mountain and we lost the trail somewhere. So we said, well, down is always good. That's the goal, is down. So we went down, only to get to a very steep down. And the snow was waist deep. We didn't know what was under us. We didn't know if there was a cliff or whatever it happened to be. We were in a very dangerous spot. But we, as good men as we are, just like the men you have at camp, we just kept going. You know, we're not the brightest group in the world, but, you know, we just kept going. And God in his mercy got us through the deep snow and down to a place where we could see where our cars were parked. And we made it back safely by God's grace, not by our wisdom. But that's where the church is lots of times. We're following the path, and then things get in our way. Snow comes, and we can lose sight of the path. And I think that is what Jesus is uh, telling these seven churches, telling the church today. He says, there is a danger, church, in that you will lose the path. And so I want to help you see where it comes out. Jesus is giving the words to these churches to say, stay on the path. And if you're in the midst of the snowfield, not sure where the path is, let me show you a way to get across. But stay on the path. Because to move all the way off the path puts you in an incredibly dangerous place. I think Jesus would say to us, and he surely does in other places, even if you get to that dangerous place, I am still God. I can still see you through. But it's not necessarily where you want to be. So that's the reason we're looking at the churches. To say, Lord, keep us on the path. Even when snow covers it, keep us on the path. So we are looking at two churches today. Smyrna and Pergamum. We're in chapter 2 of Revelation, starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The church of Smyrna, it was a uh, large community, a, uh, sat there in, in Asia Minor right on the coastland, north of Ephesus that we looked at last week. In fact, it is still there. We would, if you looked it up on the map, it would be Izmir, 
Turkey, still a thriving port. Much was going on there, and Jesus sends this message to the church. I am the first and the last. I'm the one who died, and I'm the one who came to life. I am the resurrection and the life, John will write in his gospel. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I know it's hard for you. You know, there's uh, good news and bad news in that Jesus knows. He knows the good stuff that we're doing, but he also knows the struggles and the bad stuff that we may do. But here, this is good news for Smyrna. In fact, of the seven churches, this is the only church that doesn't get an, um, a slap on the wrist, if I could put it that way. This is the church that gets all good news except for what they're going to have to go through. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I think it's in, um, if I can find it, 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing in the 8th chapter, uh, starting in the 8th verse, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. I think that's what, uh, what this, the Lord is referring to. You are in a bad place. But you're rich. You see, for the church in uh, cities that belong to Rome or under Roman occupation, um, because they did not worship the emperor, the Caesar, they were not allowed to be part of the guilds, part of the businesses around. They couldn't set up shop. So they were physically, financially poor, struggling. And not only that, but they were being slandered against. The word there is blasphemy. The Jews that lived in these cities were allowed to um, have uh, businesses. They had special dispensation, as it was, from Rome, but not the Christians. And the Jews made sure that Rome knew just how bad the Christians were, that they had their own Lord, Jesus, and they refused to worship Caesar. So the Jews kind of were grandfathered in, if I could put it that way, but not so the Christians. But the Jews would slander the Christians. They would say of them, they are troublemakers. They do not worship or even give honor to Caesar. And probably about, oh, 70 years, 60, 70 years after this is written, there is a leader in the church in Smyrna. His name is Polycarp, and um, he was martyred for his faith. 
And he came before the Roman council and they said, um, just honor Caesar. Just say that he is Lord amongst your other lords and you will live. And Polycarp's response is, for 85 years I have served him and he has never left me or let me down. How can I do so now to him? And he lost his life in a pretty horrendous way, taken from him. And the Jews that slandered, that's referred to here, are the same ones that would slander and cause for the death of Polycarp. And Jesus says that that, um, these Jews are of the synagogue of Satan. They're blaspheming against me. Just like the accuser, Satan. Jesus says, I know that you are in this. In fact, things are going to get worse. You are going to suffer. And the devil is going to throw some of you into prison where you'll be judged. And some of you will not make it out alive. Some of you may get out in what he says, 10 days. And when we hear that number 10, we're talking about the importance of numbers throughout scripture. Number 10 usually meant an indefinite amount of time. Seven usually means complete. Ten kind of means, you know, it could be long, it could be short. And so Jesus tells them, uh, some of you will be thrown into prison. Some of you will not make it out alive. But stay faithful. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And it's only Jesus who can give that, because he is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the resurrection and the life. He holds all life. He is the creator God who spoke, and creation took place. Then it's interesting in verse 11. He goes from plural to singular. He's been talking to the church of Smyrna as a a church. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Each one of you are part of this church. And each one of you have a part to play. You can stand out different. So listen, each one of you, listen. And then he continues on and he says, and the one who conquers, the one who remains steadfast, who doesn't give in, will not be hurt by the second death. And we read in Revelation 20 that that second death, that place of uh, Weeping and gnashing of teeth, that fire and brimstone place that is created for Satan and all of his demons, all of his, those who follow him. That's the second death. And Jesus says, you will most likely all suffer the first death. But if you know me, if you remain firm and steadfast, if you conquer 
The second death won't touch you. You'll have eternity with me. So remain steadfast. Don't give in. Don't fear. Because eternity waits for you. I wait for you. Don't give up, church. Don't give up, brothers and sisters. To the church of Pergamum. He says, and to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the ones who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in those days of Antipas, my faithful witness. Now, I'll just stop there for a minute. Some of you are going to say, but I thought Antipas was against God. This is a different guy. This is not Herod Antipas. This is a different guy. There are John Smiths and there are John Smiths. And I've even looked up on, on Google. I typed in Randall K. Even spelt the funny way that my mom spelt it. And there are a lot of me around. It's scary how many of me are out there. Some of them a little better looking. Some not so much. He says, Antipas, did, my faithful witness, was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You know there were know those who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught um, Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The church of Pergamum a little farther inland from Smyrna. Probably the key city in that seven church circle. Um, what was so special about Pergnum is that it became uh, the worship place for the Caesar. They had built a temple to Caesar and you would actually come there and worship him and we believe that when Jesus is referring to Satan's throne, that's what he's referring to. The people would come and, and worship there. There were many other temples that people would come to. It was a big and thriving city. And this picture of the two-edged sword is that the proconsul of the emperor, of the Caesar, would have a two-edged sword. He comes as a messenger from the emperor. 
to bring justice, to bring the Caesar's message. And I think it's by, uh, by design that Jesus says, I am the one who has the two-edged sword. Not the pro-counsel. I have it. And then later on he says, if you don't repent, I will come and with the sword of my mouth, which is John had already seen, if we go back to chapter 1, he says, I will come and bring judgment. Jesus says, I know where you are. I know how tough it is. Satan is at work in your midst. It's, you bump into him at every turn. There's a, another temple, another act of worship that's going on. And, and the Caesar is represented there. People worship him, and that's the farthest thing from you. Well, most of you. He mentions Balaam. We go back to uh, the, book of, the book of Numbers. I know a lot of you spend your quiet times there. But in chapters 22 um, up to 25, we meet Balak and Balaam. And Balak sends to Balaam uh, to come and to curse Israel. Israel is kind of spread out. Israel is in, you know, in that 40-year time, and he's spread out below the king, and they have a massive uh, fighting force, and uh, the king is worried that he will lose to them. And so he calls for Balaam, and he says, Balaam, come and curse Israel, because I know that you know God. It's kind of a weird story, but go with me here. And so Balaam says uh, a couple times, no, I'm not going to go. And each time Balak sends more guys to, and says, I'll give you lots of money. Lots of money. If you just, just come and curse. And so Balaam finally gives in and he gets on. Uh, God has actually kind of given him some freedom to go. God has been telling him not to go. And all of a sudden he tells him to go. And he gets on his donkey. And if you remember the story, he's going down the very narrow path, uh, kind of cliffs on both sides. And an angel appears to, uh, to them. And only the donkey sees the angel. And every time the donkey sees the angel, he stops which time Balaam probably puts a good foot in the donkey's side, and the donkey doesn't move. Then he moves a little bit, and the angel appears again, and the donkey crushes Balaam up against the side of the cliff. Balaam gets really um, upset with the donkey. Finally, the donkey, in this miraculous way, turns in his head and faces Balaam and says, Hey! What gives? Haven't I been your best donkey ever? And you keep on kicking me in the side. And Balaam gets upset at the donkey. You know, some people say, well, that's weird that the donkey talked. I think it's weirder that Balaam spoke back. <laughs> you know, you can have a moment where things don't seem right, but when you start talking to it, you know, it's one thing to talk to yourself, it's another thing to answer back, right? And uh, long story short, um, the donkey presses upon Balaam, and the angel appears, and um, 
tells them what they are to do, that they are to bless rather than curse. And so three times the king asked Balaam to go and put a curse over Israel. He takes him to three different spots. And every time that he goes up to curse, um, he gives a blessing instead. And Balak is not very excited about this. But Balak, from what we can understand, paid him his due. And if you get to the 25th, you say, well, you know, what's going on? What's, what's bad about Balaam? The issue is, by the time they get to chapter 25, Balaam has talked to the king, and he says, I'll tell you what, I know you're afraid of all these guys, and you're going to lose to them. Uh, become their friend. Saddle up to them. Welcome them. And so the king thinks it's a good idea and welcomes Israel. The problem is, is that Balak and all of his people worshipped other gods. And soon the people of Israel were trying out Balak's God. And began whoring themselves to this God and eating the, the food and being involved in sexual immorality. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying to the church in Pergamum, he says, some of you have followed Jesus, but you've sullied yourself, you've dirtied yourself with the culture around you. Oh, yes, you still love Jesus, you still believe in him, but you're also doing these things that are contrary to him. You are coming mixed up with the worship of the culture in which you find yourself. And let's be honest, there is a danger for the church. Danger for the church in, in America. I don't remember the story exactly, but there was a... Um, a person, uh, a Christian brother who came from Africa to the United States. And the people said, how terrible it is for you in Africa. How the, the church struggles. How it is always under attack. And we pray for you. And the brother's response was, it's not bad in Africa. It's bad here in America. Because you've turned your back as the church away from Jesus. You've dirtied yourself with the culture. We in Africa pray for you. That you will remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I, that's what Jesus is talking about to the church here. He says, um, there are some of you who are... Um, bringing things into your life that shouldn't be brought in. It's one thing to live in the world. It's one thing to put the clothes of the world on you. It's one thing to be in, living around people who worship other things, but then we start to worship them too. Jesus says, be careful of that. Repent, or I will come. But he finishes this section of the letter and he says to them, but 
To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. That manna that was placed inside the ark that reminded the people of God's provision. But remember, I believe it is in John 6 where Jesus says, um, they're talking about manna. He's talking with the religious leaders and, and um, they said, it is our father, Moses, who gave us bread. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, it wasn't. It was my father. It was God who gave you the bread. And then he says, he goes, and I am the bread. He who eats of me will never hunger. He who drinks of me will never thirst. In, in some way, Jesus is that hidden manna. He is the one that gives us sustenance and, and life. The manna that God gave Israel in the wilderness sustained life. The bread that Jesus is gives life. And then he says, I will give you a white stone. And I've got a bunch of guys you could probably argue with that think they know what this means. And then there's the honest guys who say, I don't have the foggiest idea what it means. And I always tend to lean with those guys. But one thing it could mean, and it makes sense, is that when you came before the magistrate to be judged, if you were going to have your guilt removed, you were going to be found not guilty, they would take a white stone and put it in the pot. And you could go free. And I think, what a beautiful picture. The people would have known that picture. And Jesus says, I'm putting a white stone in. You are not guilty. And I'm going to make it incredibly personal. I'm going to put a name on it that only you know. I just don't save the masses. I save you. There's good news. All the nations of the world will be blessed, are blessed because of Jesus, but it's individual salvation. Just belonging to the church doesn't make you saved. It's belonging and surrendering to Jesus. So, what do we take home? Uh, for Smyrna, I think we learned from them that we are to continue to trust in Jesus even when it's difficult, even when tribulation comes, even when we're brought to death. Keep trusting. Conquer. You will not be touched by the second death. And from the church of Pergamum, we would... Uh, Remember, don't be um, marked out. Take upon yourself the, the world, the culture. Live in it, but separate from it. As Peter writes, echoing the Old Testament, you shall be holy for I am holy. Be separate from it. Worship Jesus only. Worship God. and we will be conquerors.
forgiven because of Jesus. His name is We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.